Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to New Year's Eve edition of the Sunday Take for 12-31-23. I'm your host, Blois Olson. We're going to use this week as a look ahead to 2024. Last week, we looked behind at 2023, which was a significant and impactful year in Minnesota policy and politics. And 2024 is likely to be a very interesting and phased year between the legislative session, the presidential race, and the battle for the Minnesota House. We're going to talk about what to watch for in the city of Minneapolis with Kyle Stokes from Axios. We're going to talk about what to watch for at the legislature and how lobbying works with Paul Cassidy from Stinson. I'm Blois Olson. This is Sunday Take. And when we come back, Kyle Stokes from Axios Twin Cities. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. My first guest this week on Sunday Take is Kyle Stokes. He's a reporter with Axios Twin Cities, but he previously was with MinPost and covered very in-depth city Minneapolis issues, city issues here in the Twin Cities. And with both city councils changing new personalities, new majorities, possibly new leadership, uh, I thought it'd be good to get a sense of what he's watching in 2024. Kyle, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. So um, let's just start with Minneapolis. Um, Some change in the council. I've categorized it as, you know, a slight shift left. Um, The mayor, um, you know, has had some something of a veto proof majority on most serious big issues. Uh, But what what do you see of this new council coming in? Multiple new members, new personalities, maybe new council leadership. 
Yeah, definitely the the immediate kind of question, the kind of palace intrigue that's going to kick off the year immediately is like who's going the next city council president going to be um you know there's sort of some thought that uh you know Andrea Jenkins um you know who you know sort of tried to play a a middle role and and find a, a centrist you know position on the council um is is not necessarily going to be the next city council president and as you say there was a shift left in the council elections um a coalition of candidates uh, that I, I've sort of described as a, a left-wing coalition because, you know, some of the people in that coalition were endorsed by, say, the Democratic Socialists of America. Yeah. But, you know, that coalition also, I mean, to your point, um, was formed and endorsed by people who who uh, oppose Mayor Jacob Fry and wanted to make it um, a little bit more difficult for him to uh, pass his agenda through the city council. Now, obviously, he still has a lot of pay, uh, power um, as a strong mayor in Minneapolis, but this council is coming in um, you know, saying that their their goals, the members of this new majority, um, are, are to hold the mayor more accountable um, and, and hold his feet to the fire to the extent that that they can. Now, they're not. Yeah, I think it's right to call it a shift um, and not necessarily a, a big swing to the left, because all of these new members, even of this new majority, um, are, have slightly different takes on uh, on issues. They're not all of one mind. For example, I mean, one clear, you know, issue to to illustrate this is the issue of rent control, which has been just this ongoing issue in both Minneapolis and St. Paul. In Minneapolis, there's some, you know, will from the voters who passed a ballot issue to to you know move forward with rent control, but Mayor Fry opposes it. Um, most of the members of this new majority uh, support rent control in some form, but um, they're not all in agreement about what the new policy should look like. Some want stricter you know, limits on annual rent increases. Some want a little bit more of a looser policy, kind of like what's in St. Paul, and, and some might even want looser than that. So whether they can act on this new agenda that would that would kind of be a counterweight to, to Mayor Fry, um, that's one of the big questions going into the year. One of the dynamics that's emerged in the last three months or four months is, uh, you know, potentially Councilmember Koski becoming council president, but more challenging of Mayor Fry. And we don't need to get ahead of ourselves politically because that's, you know, a couple of years down the line. But as you've talked to uh, Councilmember Koski and Fry on on key issues where she's just been more vocal when. Um, previously, she would have been seen as a pretty close fry ally on issues like rent control or something like that. And, you know, full disclosure, I work for many apartment owners and uh, managers, as well as the Minnesota Multi Housing Association. So uh, we don't need to focus necessarily on rent control because the issues that Fry and Koski kind of got sideways on were different. Did you see that coming? Do you have any sense of what what the what the birth of that stress was? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know that I have any special insights necessarily, but just to unpack some of, uh, you know, like the most recent fight was over this package of police incentives or uh, uh, salary incentives um, that uh, w- was sort of attempted to be put into the the, the city budget. Um, the mayor and, and uh, Chief Brian O'Hara were really pushing for this kind of one time package of incentive pay to, to try and, and shore up the the. Uh, the the officer ranks in the police department um and they they were like you know we we don't really have we, we need to you know we're our staffing is at these very low levels and we need to try and and do something to to um keep officers 
um, that we have on the force. And, um, you know, uh, Councilmember Koski was among the, mo the loudest voices to sort of say, wait a minute, like, why are we hearing about this at the last minute? And, and among the issues that sort of drove that particular fight was that, um, you know, this was not something, this was a, a surprise to a lot of members of the council. Um, and, and, you know, beyond, you know, I, I think that you're absolutely right to key on that Emily Kosky is going to be a, a key figure to watch both in the leadership debate and, uh, you know, that that's going to play out in the, in the next week or two here. And then also going forward, I, I think that that's absolutely correct to focus on her and on that. There's also this issue that Koski is sort of keying on and other members of the council as well, which is we do have this, you know, still fairly new, strong mayor system, quote unquote, um, yep. where, where it's clearer that the mayor is a stronger executive. And this was this was also the council basically stepping in and Koski leading the charge on that to say, wait a minute, we are the budget making authority. And so if you want to, you know, insert something into the budget, you have to negotiate it through us. It was sort of a process argument, um, you know, but, you know, Koski did raise her hand and, and, and kind of take a leading role in that. She was the budget chair. Uh, and, and so that sort of, you know, made her the person in the position to to fight this fight. Um, but I, I, you know, I will say that it's not the first time that, uh, you know, it's sort of been suggested to me that that she's interested in in sort of, uh, you know, kind of acting as that that counterweight. So I'm I'm looking forward to what this year brings uh, with that dynamic, because, you know, full disclosure from my end, when when I was counting up who's in this new majority, um, I wasn't counting Councilmember Koski, who's sort of previously you know, kind of, uh, you know, classified her, uh, um, has been, I slotted her in as kind of a, a more of a moderate candidate uh, and someone who's a little bit more of a fry ally. So certainly interesting. One of the um, dynamics, and you spend a lot of time around City Hall getting to know these folks um, in, in kind of talking about the internal politics that I don't think get reported in Minneapolis as much. Uh, you've done a good job, but but it's it, it's hard to to follow them. When you look at um, the the other issues that you think the council is going to have issues with, obviously we've already discussed rent control. Are there other big issues that they're worried about downtown, uh, uptown development, investment, public safety um, that they talk about, but maybe their public positions or um, you know the the coverage of it just doesn't get as amplified. Yeah, I, I mean, I think homelessness, I, I mean, I don't know whether that's an undercovered issue or not, but I, I think if we're just thinking about other, other things that are on the council's plate, homelessness is certainly an issue that um, that I think the council is interested, especially the kind of the, the council members who benefited from this shift to the left. That majority, you know, the council doesn't have power to say stop an encampment, you know, eviction. And by the way, I, I've seen reported that, uh, you know, a, a you know, one of the the more recent examples of a of a homeless encampment, um, you know, uh, is is due to be cleared soon by the city. That's been sort of an ongoing question, and the, the yeah. city council has been pushing very hard against um, you, you know those evictions and saying that they're really you know we don't think that it's acceptable that people are living outside in tents, um, but that the city um, responding to these by sweeping these encampments. Um, is is also not a real solution when when activists say there aren't enough shelter beds. So you know we you talk to council members and and they're really interested in figuring out within their 
you know, what authority they have trying to find a more, you know, what they would call a more humane response to homelessness. Um, and uh, so that's that's one issue that I think they're really concerned about. And and just to to say as well, I, you know, Mayor Fry is is also, you know, says he is concerned about it, too, has supported his own uh, array of alternatives that the folks on, on, on this lefty coalition are, are sort of, you know, interested in, in uh, finding a little bit, uh, you know, more areas of, of, for example, like creating actual hygiene facilities at um, homeless encampments. So that's that that's that's something where they might, um, you know, like not necessarily see eye to eye on the mayor on. They're both intensely focused on it. That is one big issue. But um, you're, you're touching on some other big ones downtown. What happens with downtown? Um, and, uh, you know, we've got a new uh, council member representing parts of downtown in Katie Cashman, who represents also parts of uh, kind of just west of Uptown, um, yep. and and so that that will be a dynamic as well. And and the corridor reconstructions that are are due to sort of gear up on on Hennepin Avenue, um, you know. So those are those are some issues. Um, I would also just say policing. To return to that issue for a second, um, there are ongoing contract negotiations between the police and and the city. Um, differences on salary there, um, and not that this is something that necessarily is going to get you know, legislated on the council, but there is, you know, the federal consent decree that, that, yep. um, you know, is getting negotiated, the state settlement, uh, the council is likely to pick a, um, the independent monitor for the state settlement to oversee police reform and MPD. That's a huge issue as well. Um, you, you know, I, I could, I could go on and on about these different issues, um, but there's, there's no shortage of them for, for this new, uh, council to tackle. Uh, Kyle Stokes is my guest. He's with Axios uh, Twin Cities. As we wrap up here, um, you've covered a lot of issues. Um, one of the things that, you know, downtown is such a broad issue, but um, is there any buzz about the idea that they could have a tax revenue issue based on office valuations? Does anybody talk about that at City Hall? I, I think it's it's not something that I've talked to them a lot. I, I would just say that I, I'm aware that it is a big issue. And I think there's been a lot of kind of discussion about it. I think there's and you, this is something that the, the mayor has been has has discussed a lot about turning commercial properties into residential properties. Um, but there's there's no doubt that it's a it's a huge. The workforce does not return in the in the force that it uh, that it was pre pandemic. I think that makes sense. Kyle Stokes, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. I'm sure we'll catch up down the line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Blaze. When we come back, Paul Cassidy, a lobbyist at Stinson, talks about what to watch for in the legislature in 2024. I'm Blaze Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. My final guest this week on Sunday Take is Paul Cassidy. He's a longtime friend and lobbyist at the Stinson firm. He joins me now to talk about this upcoming legislative session. What are the issues lobbyists are looking at and how has lobbying changed? Paul, thanks for joining me. Thanks, boys. Happy to be here. Paul, um, obviously, lobbying during the pandemic was something none of us ever imagined. I don't lobby, uh, but I watched you guys do Zooms and texts and everything like that. And then obviously the dynamics of the legislature flipping to all DFL control last year you know, may have changed the dynamics in your years. How is, how has lobbying changed? What, what's different now than 10 years ago or 15 years ago? Well, boys, thanks for having me here today. Um, I think the biggest thing uh, that has changed in lobbying 
has been obviously um, we have a legislature that is much larger, a lot more committees, a lot more big committees. Um, we have uh, a legislature that is full of lots of professionals um, that expect uh, lobbyists and anyone that is advocating on behalf of an issue to provide them solid and accurate content. So to that to that regard, in the newest legislature, I think during the pandemic and post-pandemic uh, has changed uh, dramatically. We have a lot of new people. Um, I would dare say we don't need term limits because we do turn over a lot of legislators uh, every couple of years. I think in this past legislative session, we had upwards of 40 new legislator, legislators uh, uh, come to the Capitol. Um, and then we have a lot of um, a lot more diverse legislature that we have, have seen uh, from past history of obviously politics. The legislature was populated by lots of males. Um, that has changed dramatically. Uh, we have um, two uh, women that are now uh, the majority leader of the Senate and the Speaker of the House, as well as a number of women that uh, hold uh, uh, critical gavels in, in, in uh, important committees. Now, what you... I'd have to say, what I'd have to say about the pandemic is that it was very difficult to communicate with legislators and staff during the pandemic. And I think as society as a whole, we all had problems with the communication channels, but it made it doubly difficult to, to get people's attention, to get people's attention quickly, because you do need to uh, act quickly often at the legislature when you're advocating on behalf of an issue. So in that regard, it, 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 it presented a number of hurdles. When you think about um, the relationships with legislators, when there is this much turnover, things like that, does it is it more challenging to build deeper relationships? How does obviously it's it's a trusted relationship that goes both ways. Um, when you have so many new people, obviously getting to know new people and trust them and build a relationship, has got to be more and more of a challenge, uh, especially as you know they kind of come in with you know, a preconceived notion of how it's going to work and what issues they're going to prioritize. Yeah, I think if you look, to, look at this last uh, election in uh, 2022, where the Democrats took over, you basically had an election that ended on November 8th and the legislature went back into session uh, less than 60 days uh, after that. So during that time, you had to scramble during the holidays, of course, to try and meet as many of these new folks as you can. Some of us uh, spend time uh, in the interim uh, helping candidates, so we, we uh, already get to know some of these new, newly elected officials before they come to the Capitol. But last year, and we're going to get into this, um, going into 2023, we had a very short time window to get to know a lot of new people, a lot of new people that were uh, newly in power, that were, became chairs of, of, of important committees. So it was really a scramble. And then you look at the the magnitude of legislation that came before us in 2023 that uh, um, made it uh, equally as difficult because of just the, the sheer volume of legislation in such a short uh, period of time. My guest is Paul Cassie. We're talking about lobbying uh, in current times. He's a lobbyist at Stinson, longtime friend. Okay, Paul, let's look ahead to this session. It's uh, not a budget session. Last session was... Uh, the pace, the issues that people tackled were big. Um, what do you think, obviously bonding is one issue. Let, let's start there. How does the bonding bill come together? Uh, the legislators have been on tours. The governor's been touting projects. Talk about how the bonding bill, which is probably priority one of the next session, talk about how it comes together and how people advocate for their projects. 
Well, a couple of things that you've already pointed out. First and foremost, a lot of these projects that are under consideration have been under consideration for a number of years. If you look at last year's bonding bill, there are some projects in there, and I'll, I'll just pick one out, Highway 65 in the Blaine, Anoka area. Um, that project has been on the wish list for years and years and years, and last year it was finally accomplished. I think now going into this new year in 2024, a number of there's going to be a number of factors. Number one, um, whether or not uh, Democrats can convince uh, some Republicans to vote with them so they get a supermajority to pass a bill. Number two, how much cash is going to be available? It's been reported uh, earlier this month that the state's going to have a, yet another surplus. It's not very large, but they're going to have a surplus nonetheless. Um, so is there going to be cash available for bonding as well? Um, and then, obviously, it's off to the races. How big is this bill going to be? Um, it could be historic or it could be much smaller if they, if they actually just have to pay for it and they, and they can't use uh, 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 general obligation bonds as a tool to pay for it. When, when you think about that, and, you know, there's always these kind of, oh, we could get done early. We don't have that much to do. But the bonding bill really becomes this um puzzle to put together and everybody has leverage so republicans in this case will have leverage to if democrats want to borrow and make it bigger meanwhile democrats will have leverage because they have money and they could pay for projects with cash does that mean that you know this session is going to go the distance most likely well we both know that everyone has predicted year in and year out that the legislature is going to get done early and it never does so my my educated guess is that uh, the legislature will run up until the last day. And so will the capital bonding bill. The capital bonding bill is the last train that leaves the station. It is the result of a number of pieces to the puzzle, including major omnibus bills, major legislation, um, lots of uh, negotiations that go on, but it does uh, typically go right up until the end of the legislative session. I don't see that um, changing much this year. There are a lot of issues before the legislature that need to get done before that, uh, before I think people are going to uh, uh, take an, under serious consideration a major capital bonding bill. Other issues other than bonding you think the legislature is going to take up or is are going to get a lot of discussion? Yeah, I think the if, if I can just uh, set the table by just discussing the end of uh, the 2023 session. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was very, I, I like to describe it like this. Number one, it was deliberate. Number two, it was decisive. Number three, it was consequential. It was deliberate. The Democrats, the governor and the two majority leaders, uh, the majority leader and the speaker got together, put together a punch list. They brought it to the Capitol. The Democrats decisively passed each and every one, everything on that punch list. And then finally, all that legislation is extremely consequential. That will change many things for years to come. So, you set the table with that. So going into 2024, some of the things that will need to be done, there, there'll be some fix-up bills. There was an error in the tax bill. It's about $352 million that they need to that they need to fix so that it doesn't imbalance the budget. Um, there'll be probably fixes to the cannabis slash marijuana legalization bill, as well as paid family medical leave. These were huge bills that in hindsight, uh, they find things that they need to that they need to tinker with. And that's not unusual. That's how the legislature works. They pass legislation and for years on end, they amend statute to make course corrections. Um, but the other issues that will be taken up besides that, I think you'll see, uh, obviously, the capital investment bill, early education, if they have extra cash to put back into that. They put historic money into it last year. They did fix the tax bill. Um, 
the SRO issue is also, it's, it, it appears to have calmed down, but I'm guessing we're going to have a long discussion about that one as well. And then uh, sports gambling. Sports gambling is a major issue that was on on the table. And as full disclosure, I do work for the sports operators. Um, but yep. um, this is an issue that's been um, active in the Minnesota legislature since 2020, uh, post uh, the 2018 U.S. Supreme Court case to legalize sports gambling in the state. Um, I think there's um, there's uh, energy to get that done. It's just a matter of getting other things done first. And then another one that was left over, Governor Walls' one and only veto, the Uber uh, legislation that uh, would uh, give certain benefits to Uber and, and Lyft drivers or independent drivers. Um, that bill, I'm guessing, will be back as well and will be just as controversial. Um, Paul, I, too, am working on uh, sports betting and making it legal here in Minnesota. It. You know, you and I have talked, we talk about these things privately, but I don't think listeners always get a sense of when there's a populist issue. And I'm going to go back to something like Sunday liquor sales that people just kind of shook their heads at. Sports betting similar in many ways that people just like other states do it. Why aren't we doing it? Why don't they get it done? There's politics with the horse tracks. There's politics with the tribe. But when you're at the Capitol and there's an issue that's a talker around the state, do legislators hear the public? Does the public matter more than the lobbying community? Do they think they have a different opinion? I mean, and every legislator is different and there's 201 of them, but is there a sense of when something's kind of a talker around the state, maybe it's even that school resource officer issue like the SROs, um, that they they don't want to talk about it with lobbyists or they they're still receptive because I think people just think like lobbyists go up, they get what they want, but, but there, there's a, it's, it's a three-dimensional puzzle is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think, you know, it is a populist issue. Um, I do. um, I I don't think legislators lose sleep over it at night. I am unaware of legislators around the country that have passed the bill that uh, have lost their election due to sports gambling. Um, it's a fun thing to talk about, but it's also somewhat complex. Legislators want to know why do we need to legalize sports gambling? They need to understand that there is a black market for gambling. Um, They also, uh, I think, need to understand um, what the bill does in terms of consumer protections and and many, many other things. Um, But I think for a lot of legislators, this issue in in particular is somewhat personal. You run into... um, legislators that um, do, they, they belong to fantasy leagues, for instance, online. So they would like yep. themselves to be able to place a bet sometime. They run into legislators who have a relative, a friend that had a gambling problem. And so they're very reticent to support uh, the expansion of sports gambling. So it's been a really interesting uh, topic to, uh, to work on, and uh, it'll continue to be when we get into 2024. Paul, as we wrap up our conversation here, um, when you are thinking and advising clients on how to navigate or how to learn about the session, what should the public know about following a bill, weighing in on a bill? Does it matter when the public calls a legislator or or sends an email specifically about certain legislation? Absolutely. the public should know if they don't already. I mean, first and foremost, the legislature is accessible and legislators are accessible. Uh, they want to talk to their constituents more than they want to talk to me, believe me. 
Um, and <laughs> they, they, they should pick up the phone and call or write an email because they will get a response. Most legislators are very good at that. They want to know what's on the minds of their constituents. So they're very, very attentive to that. And you know what? A couple of things. The legislature has a fantastic website that uh, people should uh, look into if they want to navigate and, and uh, navigate through an issue and learn more about it. And then finally, go to the Capitol. It's a great place. I think you'll be surprised at how open it is in terms of uh, access for the public to uh, see legislators and their staff and to be able to you know talk to them and or get on their calendars yeah. to talk to them privately. And shoot them a note and say, you want to have coffee? I, I'm guessing nine out of 10 legislators would say yes. Uh, grabbing a cup of coffee in their district because that's where they want to be. They want to be back home with their constituents learning about what's on their, what's the hot topic on their mind today. Paul Cassidy from Stinson. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Thank you, boys. Have a good day. When we come back this week's Take, what does 2024 hold and what to watch? I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to the Take. But first, a message from Minnesota Corn. Look, it's the end of the year, and we had a big year in weather. And you know who watches the weather more than most Minnesotans? And that's saying a lot. It's farmers. It's corn farmers. And as the weather has changed, so has farming. And corn farmers have led the way with sustainable practices across the state. Investing in water cleanliness, investing in better practices, using technology to ensure that fertilizer is spread strategically. That's because farmers care as much about sustainability, if not more, than anyone else. And why is that? That's because if farms can't sustain themselves, the next year's crop or the next generation's community is in jeopardy. And we know that in rural communities, the next generation wants to farm. They want to be there. And we have to make it work for them. And that's what Minnesota corn farmers do. They invest in new technologies. They push and innovate on fuel that keeps our air cleaner. So as you think about the past year or the year ahead, think about farming, how much it's changed and how much it'll change in the future. I'm Blaise Olson. That's the Sustainability Minute from Minnesota Corn. You know, the last take of the year is really about the year ahead. Let's start with the big picture. If this presidential race turns into Biden versus Trump, we are going to have another summer and fall of the majority of Americans not wanting to talk about a presidential race. I've said long before that presidential campaigns used to be about inspiring, not angering. Used to be about ideas, not insults. And I would hope that something changes so that we could have a presidential race like that this year. After all, I think that there is not a time in the country that needs it more than right now. And that comes home to Minnesota. Minnesota is arguably a good, solid blue state. But that's based on the politics of the candidates uh, and the parties right now. What we do know is that it should be noted that um, 
the politics of today are not about uniting. But if you had candidates who were different, then maybe Minnesota would be more competitive. I'm just saying. We'll watch to see Dean Phillips race, see how far he goes. He seems to be getting more amplification and interest, but I just don't know how much traction there is. And the way in which Democratic leaders have just shut him out in states like Florida should disturb all of us about democracy. But here at home, we will watch the third district open seat where Republicans still don't have a candidate. We'll watch Amy Klobuchar's Senate race where Republicans still don't have an opponent. And we'll watch the legislative races in the Minnesota House where is the only hope for Republicans to make some ground. If they are able to win four seats and take the majority, then state government is then divided again. And Republicans have something to build on before the 2026 governor's race or the 2026 legislative races where all 201 legislators are there. Paul Cassidy covered the issues of the legislature well, but I think the one thing we didn't discuss is the dynamics in the Senate caucus. Watching the dynamics in the Senate caucus is going to decide how much does or does not get done in the legislature. They are divided. Some have said they are even having trouble finding a way to meet in person because of the divide over the Hamas attacks on Israel and the ongoing conflict in the Gaza Strip. Those are not issues that are solved quickly. And so Majority Leader Carrie Tietzik is going to have her hands full. But it's a short session and it doesn't start till February. So in January, we'll start to watch these new city councils. St. Paul with a majority female council of color. How will they challenge Melvin Carter? And as you heard from Kyle Stokes, a new dynamic in the Minneapolis city council. How will they challenge Mayor Fry and his new mustache? If you haven't heard about Mayor Fry's new mustache, he debuted it this past week. And he told me, told the press that the feedback was mostly negative. As a guy who might not be able to grow a mustache effectively, I could just say that I'm okay if the mustache trend goes back, if it goes away soon. So on a lighthearted note, let's enter 2024. Keep reading, keep listening but I won't be growing a mustache in 2024. So that's not something to look forward to. Subscribe to our newsletters at fluent-newsletters.com. I will be with Vanita Monday through Thursday all year at 620, but I'm sleeping in on New Year's Day. So I'll talk to you Tuesday. I'll be talking to you next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.